Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Still Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number nine. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to the comments towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourself and leave questions. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So before we get into this week's topic, let's do a quick rundown of what everyone's working on. Joey, that's your cue. Alrighty, I just put out my um, Cheers video so everyone can finally see what the hell I've been talking about. It seems to be going pretty good. Um, I've just started, well, this week really started um, a walnut um, sofa in a Japanese style. Um, it's a very low U-shaped um, sofa, so it's going to be interesting. I've got to do some curved... Um, backrests, detail-y things, which I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do that. When you say low U-shaped, you mean like as in the center of the sofa, it's got a low... No, sorry. Um, it's a very low sit seating. It's like 300 mil off the ground. Um, but the whole sofa is like a big U-shape uh, if you're looking at it from a bird's eye view. Ah, okay. Right, I'm with you. I've got you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's quite large, actually. It's like three, 3.2 long and and then the returns are 1.8 or something like that. Jeez. It's a fairly, fairly big <laughs> piece of kit. Um, I just got an order through early this week for a <laughs> a dog cage that is pretty high end. It's going to also double as a TV stand. In this so, sorry, cage or kennel? How's well, that work? I'm not sure if you call it it. I'm, I'm not a dog owner, so I'm not sure if the difference between kennel or cage, but it's the day, the indoor sleeping apartment of the dog. It looks a bit like a typical Western jailhouse, like with bars on it. Um, <laughs> it's got a sliding door like a jail. Um, yeah. And how, um, does, how does a TV incorporate into that? Is it just oh, the, the, on that, top of... Yeah, that was what, like... And when we, she finally got the dimensions through and everything... She said, oh, it's pretty big, but that's how big she wanted it. Um, we're so just going to have to throw our TV on top. Is that going to be okay? And I was like, sure, you can do whatever you like on top of it. This <laughs> <laughs> um, thing's like an over a meter tall. So, um, it's definitely not a chihuahua then. No, one of the photos, it looked like it was a Great Dane or something. Because oh, it's a big, or it's a big, very small TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I'm probably not going to film it, but I'll, I'll be on Instagram with it. Cool. Um, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I have – what have I been doing? Uh, I've got a new dining table, surprise, surprise. Um, basically finished that one up today, and that's going as part of my signature range of furniture. So I didn't just make it. I also templated everything out on it so I can repeat it um, and – if you saw Joey's chair video, it's basically similar to the way he's jigged up that chair, um, except it's just a lot bigger because it's a dining table, so it's you know bigger legs and everything. Uh, on top of that, I've had a job come through, a deposit for the job come through, which is 
surprise, surprise, another dining table, which is <laughs> really, I mean, I'm excited for this one because it's using American white oak, which is just my favorite timber to use. And mm. it's, you know, it's got a bit of freedom in it with the design. He kind of sent it through to me and I did a quick sketch so I could price it up. Um, and that quick sketch was the perfect model for him. So he was like, yep, that's, that's exactly good. what I want. So Sweet. it's, yeah, just easy so far. Um, as long as I can get the oak because my supplier has no loose lengths of oak, um, American oh. white oak, really, that I can use. So I'm trying to convince him to split a pack. Otherwise, oh. I, I don't know how I'm going to get it. Is he only sell by the pack for like exotics? No, he he lo- he does loose lengths, um, yeah. but generally he tries to keep packs as packs. But you uh-huh. know, he's got two lengths at four meters. He's got one length at one point five meters. You know, it's really weird lengths that's in there. So I'm that's really I'm weird, trying to convince weird. him it's time to open a new pack. I see. Well, don't don't you people don't they just usually put the scraps of the last pack on top of the new pack and then away you go? Yeah. That's how I would do it, but <laughs> I think I think their issue is we've got a designer on this side of the pond. I think it's Nathan Day. I could be thinking of the wrong furniture maker, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming he is his supplier and he just buys packs and packs yeah. every every yeah. month. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that's the issue with with the white oak because everything else is fine. There's um, a, a quick question on that point, uh, John from Leroy. Uh, is American white oak difficult to come across? Like, uh, no, I mean it's available, but it is hard to get if you're only wanting small quantities. It's turning into a bit of a mission at the moment, and it's quite expensive. So um, I'm needing 250. Is it no 225 mil wide boards? And uh, yeah, basically I'm spending almost 62 dollars per meter at that width. Jeez. That's quite happy. Uh, 38 mil. So, yeah, that's pretty expensive. It's really expensive. I mean, the, the narrower lengths, which I'm the base and everything's made out of, is a lot cheaper. Mm. Um, I think that's like 40 bucks a meter for the 1 to 150. So, it's quite a big dr- jump between the two sizes. But I, I can't I, quite picture it because I work out my, my seller sells everything by the cube. So, I know everything and like American white white oak is about uh, four thousand two hundred a cube, so that means nothing to you because yeah, I mean <laughs> do the maths. He he is selling it in by the cube as well, and it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. And I think if my whole plan of this signature range actually does come a reality, yeah, I'll probably buy it by the cube or yeah. by the pack, I should say, yeah. because it is yeah. way cheaper. But at this yeah. stage, it's just not feasible. Yeah, I actually just picked up, uh, that's why my chairs were in red oak, because I picked up two cubes of red oak for cheaper than pine. Wow. Um, Because I I had a a timber rep come by and say, oh, just before Christmas, he was like, we're trying to get rid of this old stock. We don't want it. It's been sitting in the shed for two years. Um, We just need to get rid of it. And I was like, done, bought, sold. Yeah. Do you have a designated storage area for large quantities in your shop? Yeah, that's okay. what's just taking up floor yeah. space. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's not not the only one. I mean, no. I do, but not not for big packs. I've never bought a packet like that before, but after doing it, 
man, it's so easy having a stack of wood you can just go to and just take a plank off it. Um, I found that it's it's great, but at the same time, you pull that plank and it's like, no, nah, this one's too good, and you throw yeah, it back yes. in and you look for the next. <laughs> well, that packet is meant to be for all my house furniture, so I'm trying to only use it for that. Yeah. But um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys saw on Instagram this week this, that um, timber that I'm drying mm-hmm. underneath the house. That's what I'm looking forward to with that is just for, for having this just this yeah stack of hardwood you know i don't need yep. to drive out to bunnings or go somewhere and buy it what is it is there Do you know? I th- I think someone has su- someone has suggested it might be tassie oak but it's uh-huh. at this stage it looks a bit too red or, or you know um ready brown to be tassie oak yeah, uh, so there's a pretty bleached tassie oak yeah right that's yeah. only like a so there's a bit of paper bark um, which is obviously a lot lighter, and then it's some gum. It's it's pretty solid. Like the, I mean, it's hard to tell right now because it's still obviously quite wet, but the the grain does feel quite, well, it does look quite dense. Yeah, and it is quite heavy. So I'm hoping that whatever it is, at least it's going to be decent. Is it um, 50 mil thick? You've got it ripped into. Yeah, around there. Are these? Sorry, I'm missing something. Is is this the slabs or this is different wood? Uh, we're talking about. So I saw on Instagram all of the resawn. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Cool. That's it. So it was a tree that came down, cut well, got cut down a couple months ago, and yeah. then yeah, last weekend, I just got it back from the soil. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Cool. Pretty excited. It's so what I've done. I was, I was talking um, to John earlier about the the air cons that I've just had installed. I've yeah. got the air cons, and then about a meter yeah, away that. is that's all. Awesome, the, like, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically all that warm air is just being pumped straight over the timber. Yeah, so because yeah, it is nice, warm, dry air, and it's mm-hmm. just straight out of those fans. Yeah, you'll probably dry that in no time. Yeah. And I've just put in two new air cons today, so now I have a three-by-three three wall wow. with awesome. three air cons. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like it's just a having it move. Well, just getting mm. there is, is the biggest thing. <clears throat> yeah. That's a really good idea, oh. Right, sorry, I interrupted there, John. Anything else? No, I mean, I, I think that's about it for me. Cool. All right, so for me this week, I finished I finished my first project um, for 2018. You know, I've, I haven't put out a YouTube video since before Christmas. Yeah. I've, it's, it's weird. Like, I, don't, I just have nothing to, to comment on. Um, so yeah. I've finished a project. It's Bedside Table. And I've just got to do the final bit of filming. So I'm aiming to have that out this weekend if everything goes to plan. Is this with the tricky little tech thing in it that we're not sure what it is? Which works. Tested. Yep. Everything's awesome. working. I'm, so, I'm, I'm 99%, sure, 99% sure you know what it is, Joey. I know you said you think you did. I'm pretty sure you do. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah. I thought it was something new until I went and did some searching. And it's not new, but it just hasn't been done very often. So, okay. Yeah. So that's hopefully coming out this weekend. Um, and then the other thing was the I'm continuing with the dining room table. I don't know why this project is just taking so long. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm adding all these extra bits to it, um, but it's just taking so long. So this week I spent just doing flattening the bottom and mm-hmm. putting on the breadboard ends, which was obviously a, a super exciting thing to do for yeah, the I first see it time. The it looks good. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, oh, learned a whole lot. They're not. They're obviously not perfect. There's a lot of room for improvement, but it was pretty cool to like to to do something that was a 
a real woodworking mm. thing. Mm. You're not just gluing or screwing or like Joey just using pocket holes or something. You know, it's actual <laughs> real woodworking. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I didn't use any pocket holes. <laughs> it was a countersunk hole, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was it. So the the dining table this week, I'm hopefully going to get onto the legs. So maybe in about two months, it'll be finished. <laughs> are you um, with the legs? Are you? I think we did talk about this, but mm. you're mortise and tanning it into the legs or dovetailed something or other, isn't it? So it's like a half. Half dovetail, half, half lap. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. I, I do remember now. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's yeah what I'm working on this week. Something unique as well. Yeah, cool. exactly. And I think that could be why this table is just taking so long. Is everything is just it's new, new, new all the time. So you have yeah. to everything is a two day process to think the step through. Because your breadboard ends. Your first breadboard end was on the tabletop, wasn't it? You didn't do like a test piece no no yeah. no it's it's that that's yeah. it so that's so why it's, it's the best <laughs> yeah so you're gonna yeah you're gonna be going slower because you're trying not to stuff it up that's yeah. why Make yeah sure you get it right and it's not so much it's not even about going slowly it's about staring at it for two days and going right, well, everything yeah. and then just on a random friday you just pull out the right and start doing it and this is yeah. what always seems to happen and they see you like oh geez i've done it it's finished it's done so you, but it just took those two days of like coaxing yourself into the, the frame of mind mm-hmm. to go ahead with it. That's I must funny, say, right? sorry, sorry, go for it, Joey. You go. <laughs> Too polite. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way when I'm doing something new for client jobs, but I only get about two minutes to stand back and um, think about what I'm doing. And then I say, right, I've got to start the machine. So let's get into it. So that's See, the difference. I, I, I'm the same way when I'm starting a new thing. I look at it, but usually I have two minutes. But this week I haven't. I've had plenty of time, and it took right. me a day and a half before I even turned on something, like turned the machine <laughs> on. Took wood out of the rack and I measured it. I was like, "Yeah, it's gonna fit." All right, go back, keep refining. It was terrible. But since I started, I started at like 10:30 yesterday morning, and it's by three o'clock today. The table is made. Yeah, like sweet. it wasn't difficult. It was just. Hey, I saw on Instagram, you said it was a mock-up. Yeah. Um, but you've sort used, of. it looks like it's hard wood you've used, like decent yeah. timber for it. Yeah, yeah. so uh, mock-up's probably the wrong word. It's more right. full, prototype. Full, yeah, full, full scale and full quality prototype. Right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So is there just only because I saw just before I saw the picture, where the rail, oh, there must be a joint. It looks like oh, forget pocket it. Screws. Pocket screws. Oh, it was a pocket screws. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Rob, I cut you off. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I did think about you guys this week. Um, I think because I think you mentioned it, Joey, in that article that you wrote about um, trying to find cl- clients and customers. You know that short article, yeah. and you were talking about how you, when you build these things, keep track of the time that you're spending. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this week I was keeping track going, I don't think this is going to be a viable business. If it takes me this long to put together a tabletop, I'm going to have to. Well, I guess in that up. case, you would, should be counting the time you're actually working, not the time you're sitting in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Like, scared of the tool. <laughs> Thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, um, that's been my week. Cool. All right. So this week we are going to talk about, it's a topic that Joey uh 
mentioned, it's all about processes and the processes that go on in the business and in the workshop. So the idea is we're just going to discuss some processes that we have, some processes that we shouldn't have, and I guess some processes that we should have. So Joey, why don't you start us off with something? Yeah, sure. I knew you were going to say that. So it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a difficult um, topic, but I think if we just start talking about stuff, I'm sure we'll just um, do what we do. Right. Um, I thought the first thing that came to mind for me was the sales process um, for whatever reason. And I, I don't really have a sales process that I stick to. Um, and I guess the if I can come back a little bit, so when I was doing um, business coaching, um, they used to drum into us that we should have a script sitting next to the t- to the telephone. So as soon as someone calls, the only things we say is what's written down on that script, and that's going to get us all the information we need. And that's it. Just as long as you say what's written down, you're you know you're going to have a good relationship with the client. Blah blah blah. Well, it just does not work when you have when the product you're selling could be anything, a script doesn't work for that. So, um, my, not that I get many phone calls. I'd actually be interested to know if Jordan gets any phone calls either. It seems to be all by email, but yeah, no, I mean, I get the occasional phone call, um, but I'd say easily 90%, maybe not that high, but 80% is email. But the, the weird thing is I don't list my mobile phone number anywhere anymore okay. since I've got a landline. Right. But I, my landline never rings. So it's still <laughs> using, obviously, old ads or something. Right. My mobile on it. That's weird. But I've never had my landline actually come through for anyone that's wanting to buy something. Just <laughs> salespeople. That's really interesting. You know, I've because I don't have a business line, yeah. I've sat looking at the should I add my mobile to you know to the public for a long a long time and it's interesting that you, you say you don't actually need to put it in I thought you have to have a phone line because those are the only real customers are going to be the ones calling you mm. I mean I would if you want a phone line I would advise against actually using your mobile and I'll I'll do like a subscription to an answering service because I mean, it costs a bit of money, but then you don't get all the salespeople saying, oh, hey, do you want to be number one in Google? And, mm. and then yeah, I need to get that on the phone. Do you get that on the phone? Though? Always get it on the phone. And I just, I used to be polite and say, look, I don't, I don't want this. And now I just say, stop calling, hang up, because it's, <laughs> it used to be two or three a week. Now it's, now wow. it's one a month, which is. Because I've got my mobile phone number everywhere. And, um, doesn't really ring that much, but because um, <laughs> when I find a customer does call me, we'll have a quick chat, but I can never get any real information that I need from them because they're just scoping me out. So as yeah. soon as they talk to me and they they think, okay, we want to get a quote or something, I'm just first thing I'm saying, and I guess this is my process, is that you know, okay, give me some dimensions email me through some pictures of something that you think is what you're after, a um, couple of basic dimensions and, and a photograph of where it's going to go in the house. And so from there, it's just all email replies. And so, and then the next time I talk to them will be on delivery day, you know, in that, person. So. 
that's really close to what I do as well. But what you said there is a photo of where it's going to be in the house. I've never mm-hmm. even considered asking that. That's yeah, a great idea to get a. It's massive. It gives you so much information, mainly about has it got skirtings, what kind yeah. of, how big are the skirtings, Scotia, is there a window nearby, has it got some weird sill that's sticking out way past the window at proper. Um, they're the things that the client has no clue, especially if mm. it's a built-in unit. If it's built-in, I'm probably going to go do a site visit. Yeah. But to do a quote, I need, I'm not going to do a site visit for a quote. I just want a picture of the space and some dimensions. And yeah. then I'll go to a site visit once I get a deposit. I'm not going to waste my time driving somewhere only to not get the job. Hmm. So um, It kind of sounds like you do have a process set up already, Joe, well, which is you just don't realize it maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that I've just been putting together um, <laughs> over time, learning from all my mistakes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's for me the number one thing is a picture of – is there going to be a PowerPoint in a way? Um, and, you know, just lots of things you can tell by even the condition of the floor. You can probably tell what the condition of the house is and if it's mm. going to be on the piss, then you need to allow a bit more for leveling up whatever it is that you're making. Or Yeah, yeah. It's just lots of, lots of information for one or two pictures. Hmm. One, of the, one of the points that you had there, uh, uh, Joey, on the on the topic was the sharpening process. And mm. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this because my sharpening process, I've watched all the videos on YouTube and I've gone through all the things. I use one stone and that's it. And it gets right. me, as long as I can take the blade and I can get the hairs off my hand, then I'm done, move forward, off you go, one right, stone. Right. So uh, what, yeah, I'm interested so to hear what you guys do. What grid are you using? No idea, it was a Thirty dollars stone from yeah. from Bunnings, yeah, okay. and that's it. It's, so, it's an fine grit. That's all it says on the box. I don't know who wants to go first. Do you want to go, Jordan? Um, yeah, I can go. So, I mean, for me, <laughs> sharpening is. I I mean, I do fall behind in my sharpening regime. Like I've had on my whiteboard here, which has all the things I have to do. I've had sharpening session on there for about three months. Um, but generally, my sharpening process is every hand tool I have gets a hollow grind on a whetstone. So it's the Triton version of the Tormek machine that I use. Um, and that brings it up to have just, you know, you could use it straight off the machine. Um, with, with the honing wheel that's on there, I put it ultra fine. I use Autosol honing compound to polish it. Um, and generally, I'll do that once every couple of months for the actual straight knives. Uh, But what I do when I'm using the tools and it needs a touch-up, I have both a 10,000 grit stone if it's really bad, but usually I just use that for flattening the back, and then a leather strop where Mm. I will touch up the edge. And generally, five licks of the strop, and that tool is good to go again. It will cut through paper and, and you know, no resistance in the cut again. Um, and that's generally the process. My, What's the grit on the, the wheel? There's a grading stone. Mm. I don't know what the actual grit is on right. that, but you have on the grading stone you got rough. So if you're trying to redefine, you know, go from a yep. 25 degree to a 30 degree, you go into rough, and then you regrade the stone onto fine. And... I mean, from 
comparing it to my bench stones, I would hazard a guess and say it's probably about 800 grit when it's on its fine. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a rotary thing, so it's going to create straight, mm -hmm. straight scratch pattern anyway, so it's yeah. going to look worse than it is. Yeah. Um, for other things in my shop, my saw blades, I have a saw doctor, which is just down the road from me. So if they get pitch and resin build up or they get nicked, I will generally take it to him. I'd say my main blade, I'd probably sharpen that once a year. Um, maybe oh, on, the, on the panel saw, yeah. Oh, really? Because that blade is, it's like the CR10, it's like the hardest. It's not the hardest carbide, but it's the most durable. <laughs> so it lasts longer between sharpening. But if I'm on my cheap good blades, which never get a, a workout, I notice they go dull really quick. So yeah. I'll need more. Um, bandsaw blades, I don't sharpen them. I just replace the blades I use are like 30 bucks. By the time they're dull, they're gone. Yeah. And everything else is carbide insert in my shop. So right. yeah. Oh, and other than my planer knives on my um, surfacer, I have the sharpening machine in-house, so I just do that okay. when they need it. They're for the long knives, that's for the 20-inch um, ones. That will go up to 25-inch. Oh, no, that will go up to 24-inch, but my yeah. joints are 16-inch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I'll, I'll, it's kind of similar to Jordan, but I'll cover the machines first because that's easiest sharpening processes that my sharpening guy shows up once a month and I give him anything that needs sharpened. That's not my chisels or plane blades. Um, that's cool. I didn't realize that you got sharpening guys. I'm going to see if Townsville has yeah. a sharpening guy. Oh, there's a, there's a saw doctor in every town. It has to. Yeah, this, this guy travels from Whangarei to Auckland city. So that's a two hour one way trip. So it's a four hour round trip and he mm. does that once a month. Well, he comes past my building once a month. So mm. he's going other directions. Um, so he just drops by. I just mm. give him what I need. He's got it all in his truck and, and away you go. And it's like for, for like a, um, a blade for my bench saw, it's um, 25, uh, 25 cents a tooth or something like that. Oh, geez, that's not bad at all. Yeah, so it's that's, just based yeah, on. That's cheap. I mean, yeah. it's probably about what I pay actually. In the grand scheme of things, but yeah. Yeah, so that's fine for your big ripping blades. It gets a bit more expensive for your cross-cutting blades because there's more teeth. The straight knives are about $40, so it's not bad. Um, now, um, Robin, you mentioned cutting the hair on the on your hand, the sharp. I do the same thing, but I can't, can't remember who I, who I listened to, but they were going on about this old master saying, Look, I can shave with this chisel, but it's not sharp. Just because I can shave with it doesn't mean it's sharp. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to sharpen it up to like twenty thousand grit on a stone and really showed them what sharp was. Filet so, his skin. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, whatever. The, to me, sharp sorry. shaving. To me, shaving the hair is a good um, kind of point of reference, like. If it's not doing that, it's definitely blunt. <laughs> so, yeah. It gives me a ballpark. Um, the method of testing sharp that I was taught by my guy um, is you get your thumbnail or what, whichever mm. nail is the thickest and you run it over the edge of the blade really lightly because that yeah. way 
you're you know you're not cutting into your really lightly but you can feel every little nick in that yeah. blade so if you and, haven't polished uh, that out you got to keep going and right. it actually catches your na- your nail and mm. when it's sharp it will, you can actually feel it kind of pulling your nail with pulling your nail along like it's digging in yeah um, that's how i learned to um actually i never considered doing that for my tools but i learned to do that with like hunting knives and stuff yeah so one thing that i have found that works really well and this is if there's anyone out there listening that has heard of this or or, or has tried it so i've got my stone where i obviously create my i'll create the bevel then i'll flatten off the bevel then i'll create the bevel again then i take that bevel on a piece of just a piece of pine and i just fold the bevel back and forth back and forth until it breaks mm-hmm. and then that's that's perfectly sharp. It's almost like a strop, yeah, but it's right. not because yeah. it's wood, and it's just nice because you've got a piece of timber lying around anyway. Yeah. And you I can would do it with that. I would say do exactly that, but go down to Bunnings or Repco or anywhere and get a tube of autosol and charge mm. that bit of pine with autosol because then you're not only uh, breaking off that burr, but you're also putting a bit of a polish onto the edge. Like you'll you'll see a big difference just by Owning after cutting, uh, after right, okay, you know, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought of that. Mm. And so, so, yeah, it's a bird, it's not a bevel. What am I talking about? Yeah, <laughs> so my sharpening process was pretty average before I read a book by David Charlesworth, and I can't remember the name of the book, presumably, it's sharpening something. Um, um I'll try and find it later. Uh, that really, I mean, his method for sharpening changed me my whole process completely i went out and bought a bunch of stuff the next day so what my process although i don't follow his process to the t because there's something i don't agree with um so i have an 800 grit so i use japanese water stones um i don't care about the mess people complain about it but it's really not that messy um i go 800 grit to form a bevel um and then I'll go 1,200 to remove some scratch marks. And then usually I, then I'll go micro bevel with the 400 and a 4,000 and 6,000 grit and polish the back with four and 6,000. Um, I've got a honing guide. For, this is for my chisels and planer blades. Um, so I've got a, the Veritas honing guide, which is awesome. Generally, um, sharpening my planes to 40 degrees I uh, like high. I used to go to 50, but the Veritas Honor Guide won't go up to 50. So I have to Is go this back down. On to 40. Every blade? Most of my plane blades. Most of plane my plane only blades, not, not chisels. My chisels are at 35. Yeah. Um, depending. I used to, I had them up at 50 for a while. I was just playing around with it. Yeah. Um, and then come back down to about 35. Yeah. Um, they work. They work just as good. Uh, just it's a bit harder to sharpen up at such a high um, pitch. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so that's yeah. It's pretty much me. Um, I really like the micro bevel if I can remember to keep keep on top of it. Otherwise, it just ends up becoming the main bevel. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's where the hollow grind beforehand yeah. helps because everything you do on a stone becomes a micro bevel mm-hmm. until yeah. you done it on a stone so much that it's flat again but you know the first 10 or so sharpenings it's still adding a micro bevel regardless right this morning i went to plane some of this walnut i'm working with my plane just was not cutting 
I hit it with the 4,000 like 10 times, come back, and that's shaving like butter. So, I mean, it's mm. so quick to to rehone um, something that is appearing dull. It yeah. doesn't take much to get it back to bloody sharp. Yeah. So one of the points that I wanted to bring up, and I guess this is possibly a routine, not a process, is when your day starts coming into the shop. And, I, and mm. I, the reason I mention this is because as someone who doesn't do this full-time yet, who's not making a lot of money on it, sometimes it's very easy for me to just sit upstairs and watch YouTube videos with a cup of coffee <laughs> because I just don't feel like going down into the workshop. Um, do you guys have like a process because I know I'm a very routine driven person so if I have a routine I'll stick by that and I'll be the most productive person but as soon as I break that it's over um, yeah. and right now I'm, I'm really trying to get back into that routine of you wake up you make your bed you have a cup of coffee and by nine o'clock you're down in the workshop or eight o'clock you're down in the workshop do you guys have the same thing oh, okay. um, yeah oh. you go <laughs> you can ask <answer> questions <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to be out of the house by 7.30 at the latest. Um, it's a bit different now because I have an employee, so I've got to be there by 8 o'clock, have the place unlocked and be ready to get him working. Um, but even then, that was pretty much, I, I need to be standing in the workshop, lights on, ready to go at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, so Need to as in? that's what makes a productive day or just because uh, it's, you're running out of time? Because, no, well, hmm, why Why is that? Um, I guess I'm, it's a self-imposed. If I don't impose my own strict work time, I'm probably just going to slack off. Yeah. Not that I'm that kind of person. I can't sit around and do nothing. Mm. I'm, I'm very bad at just sitting on the couch. Um, but... I also find them way more productive between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Like that's when the bulk of my work, I'll get 80% of my day's work done in the morning. And then the day after lunch just starts trailing off to maybe three o'clock. I'm like, right, I'm just gone. <laughs> like my brain's not working. Yeah. Like all I'm good for is sanding. <laughs> like, yeah. so, um, I really can't work much past four o'clock without having a, a good sized break get a mm. get away for um you know a good hour um, yeah so do you so i'm taking it you work till four then going on that last statement usually yeah that's the aim yeah, yeah. so i mean the reason because I, I tried that whole keeping hours um and tried to keep to it as much as i could but the issue i found when i was doing that is that i'll be working you know i'll be Amy be out of there by 4, 4.30 at the latest, but I'd still be at work at 7.30 and then still be coming in at the same time the following day. Can I ask what what was it that you were working on so late? Is it paperwork or actual work? Actual work as because, as in physical making of yeah. items, because what my process used to be anyway, and I'll get on to why it's used to, is in the morning I'd wake up, I would go make myself a couple of cups of coffee um, 
and you know sit down and do my emails or do my try and do my bookkeeping which is terrible don't ask mm. me about that process you know just try and keep on top of the businessy side of things and then by the time i actually got off my butt to start making it might be 10 30 11 o'clock and i'm exhausted mm. um so yeah so, like yeah i was gonna say that because so that eight to four that's me generally um almost all of that time I'm actually working on projects um, usually at lunchtime I'll get a few emails in but I just about do no quoting or drawing of, of work at the workshop yeah. so once I come home see the family have dinner kids go to bed and then I'm like right I've got like between 9 and 10.30 to get some drawings made get some quotes done yeah emails some important emails so i'm working quite a bit at, in the evening but i find if i do that or try to do that in the day or in the morning especially in the morning it just blows my whole day out once mm. i've been sitting in front of the computer for two hours i have no motivation to go and yeah. start mm. cutting them but like because my brain's fried from looking at a screen so yeah it's very tough I, to put everything in one day but the the um, the interesting thing with what you're saying is I've just in the last few weeks, well, as in last few weeks of last year, I had switched it up a lot to be more like you. So I'd be getting in at seven seven thirty, and I'd work until four ish and mm -hmm. get home. And the, and it turned out to be a really good thing for my productivity. I was getting heaps more done in the day. Mm -hmm. But the reason I did that is because uh, not to get into my battle on air but we've got a uh, we've got a lunch bar in this complex of units and their grease trap has been overflowing for the last two months and the place right. just stinks of sewage <laughs> once the day starts warming up and you know right. there's all these actions being taken like I, i'm still trying to get them either to fix it or get them evicted because yeah. you know two months is beyond a joke but it's just been a happy coincidence that me trying to avoid the pong has mm. made like my day more productive in that sense, <laughs> which is great. That's interesting. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll go home, be home by like five at the latest, and I'll do either quotes, designs, emails, bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, back a few months ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that because, you know, groggy and all that. But, yeah, 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 yeah. it's interesting to see how the productivity has changed. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm glad to hear you say that, Joey, that you find that about the computer because that is a trap that I fall into mm. so often is you just get stuck in and as you say, it's 10 o'clock and oh, now it's, you know, half the or a third of the day is yeah. gone and you just start the day very demotivated. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, 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 a runner, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm struggling with a bit of a knee injury at the moment. But for the last couple of years, I've been... I found that is one of the best ways to start the day. If I'm in the oh, routine yeah. of getting up and going for a run, that's the best way to do it is is to get up and actually to get to get moving because yeah, it's that it's that front that transition from the bed to the to the office to the desk. Mm. To, you know, yeah, it just it just kills you. So something for me, I suppose, is um, yeah, I, I, lo I love what I do so much that I'll, I'll generally go to bed dreaming thinking thinking about thinking the next about day. Exactly what what's going to happen as soon as I walk in the door. Like I literally, I'll I'll be like 
thinking exactly, I walk in the door, I'll turn on the lights, and then I walk straight to this bench and pick up this bit of wood. I just need to double check that that's the right measurement, and then I, I can put that into this machine because I left it set up from yesterday, and mm-hmm. that's going to get me going. And I know the first half an hour of what I'm going to do, you know, and I'm laying in bed thinking about it. And so I just want to get up, eat breakfast, same and go back and into it. Let's get straight into it. So, um, and so there's no time for email. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the exact same. And that's why quiet periods are like torture when you go home because you're just walking around and you're just kicking stuff around. It's like, what am I doing in my life? I could be doing a whole lot of work right now. Yeah, that's why like after I did my finger, I was just, it wasn't the finger injury that was making me so glum. It was the not having anything to do the following day. It was terrible. I think it's so healthy to be like that, though, because that gives you something to do in the morning. Can you imagine, can you imagine being happy to just sit there, and, and I should probably be a little bit cautious because I don't, I don't yeah. want to rub anyone up the wrong way. If this is your if this is your jam, that's cool. But I can't imagine just being able to sit there and just be satisfied. Uh, you know, yeah. There's more. There's so much more out there to do. So yeah. Do you guys have hobbies other than woodworking? Uh, I pretend I do. Yeah. But in in reality, I mean, I don't ever do it anymore. But I used to be an avid windsurfer and skate yeah. and. You know, yeah. I used to do a whole heap of fun stuff, but if you, I don't even I'd, know the last one I did it. I'd say I have one, and that's the running. Yeah. But the woodworking, I don't, I don't believe you guys can just say that I am a woodworker and that is my one hobby because yeah. there's so much more that ties into that. For example, making the upholstery for your chairs, Joey. Um, mm. Jordan, I'm sure that there are other things that you do in this. Like you guys aren't electricians, but I'm pretty sure if you, you'd, you'd be happy to learn a new skill. You know, like maybe the idea of a, a hobby and, a, and learning a new mm. skill are very mm. similar. And we're guess, all just yeah. natural skill learners. We're, this, we're basically our lives yeah. are RPGs, and we're trying to <laughs> we're trying Definitely. to level yeah. up as much yeah. as possible. I guess I guess my question was, do you have you got time to do things other than anything? to do with making like um i am meant to be well i do train in taekwondo um i'm i used to be training three times a week and teaching one class a week and now i'm down to if i'm lucky i get to do a saturday class saturday Mm. morning class um and you know i haven't been to one for a couple of months and it's killing me because i really like it but i'm finding that it's not that I don't want to go. It's now it's like um, I kind of enjoy being in the workshop more. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because I've achieved some of my goals in that particular aspect. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to find um, the the energy to do these other things now because I'm, I'm liking what I'm doing so much. Yeah, it's the, the enjoyment out of the shop is greater than the enjoyment you're achieving, mm. you know, yeah, doing the absolutely. other things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, uh, my hope for this year is to get back into a few of my hobbies because last year I was just so exhausted that I physically couldn't do them. But the more and more, like the better I'm feeling and the more productive I'm getting in the shop and the more I'm achieving in the shop, the more I want to be here, which is mm. counterproductive to that, that goal. All right, so... Any really bad processes you guys have got that you think you know you do, but 
you just can't be bothered changing. <laughs> I, I've I've got one, and this this is actually this was on my list that I wanted to I wanted to find this out from you guys because I feel like I'm like I'm doing something wrong, and that's with my finishing with mm-hmm. polyurethane. Mm-hmm. What I've always done is on my first coat, I've put on quite a heavy layer, but then I find all the subsequent coats take forever to dry. Mm-hmm. The first coat. It's like that. It's it, it's dried perfect to the touch, but I I can't seem to. And I notice when I when I put that second coat on, I'm getting streaks, but not streaks like brush streaks. Like it it almost it's drying in streaks, like parts are drying at a different rate. So I don't know. If how I'm do just, you apply yeah, your big subject? <laughs> yeah, this is a whole episode. But how how is it you're applying poly? Is it with so a brush or rag no, or with just with a cloth? Yeah, so you rag it on. Do you thin it like fifty percent? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's, that's probably where you're going wrong. So especially when you're ragging it on, it has to be thin to basically fifty-fifty, if, ah. if not more. And then subsequent coats, you thin even more sometimes. So often the yeah. last coat will be almost entirely thinner. Yeah. But then, aren't you just you're not actually getting the polyurethane on there. And then you just... No, but you, you've got to do like eight coats. Yeah. Uh, it's all about thin layers to get a an unnoticeable film finish. Yeah. It's really an awesome way to do it. So I will direct you to Andrew Pitt's Furniture Maker yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Um, he hasn't put a video up for ages, but I think he's moved across country. So... Um, His shop was he's, beautiful back in the day. Yeah, he's now he's setting up a new shop, I believe. He has put a video out fairly recently, so I think there's more videos coming. But anyway, he's got an old video. If you go search somewhere, search um, hand-rubbed finishing or hand-rubbed polyurethane. That's where I learned this trick from him. 50-50 at least, 60-40 maybe, thinners to, so terps to polyurethane. Um, And he just uses his bare skin hands and just, Dips, dips it in the pot and like oh, massages wow. it into the top. That That's would awesome. not do a uh, dermatitis very well. <laughs> so I use I do I use gloves if I'm going to do this trick, but it works brilliantly. Um, mm. Actually, my wife, when she was working for me, was way better at this than me, and I just let her do the finishing because she had the magic touch. And I've been actually trying to get her to tell me what she did that made it so. <laughs> um, so, but we would do. You know, the first coat, you just got to get it on. And then it does settle a bit like if you did a Danish oil finish. You get some pooling, mm. then you wipe that off with a, uh, like a nice clean rag. And But you just keep applying those coats one after the other. Maybe do three or four coats, rub down any high spots, then do another three or four coats. And then that last coat is just about, it's got to be down to 60, 40 thinners. Mm. Um, and because of the amount of thinners, it's drying off really quick. You don't have any time, very little time for dust to settle in it. And you get ah, like, yeah, that's, like a that's sprayed, glassy cool. finish. It really is beautiful. It just takes a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. One, uh, another video I'd refer you to is the Wood Whisperer has mm-hmm. a hand a hand applied polyurethane video. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the name of off the top of my head, but you'll find it because he did it. It's like a DVD um, okay. that he did as well. But right. that, that is rubbing out one. Hey, okay. was that his rubbing out one? No, I don't think so. Speaking up about <laughs> yeah, the fact that he was saying rubbing <laughs> out. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's another good video, which um, 
would give you the right direction anyway, especially if you're using a rag. Now, yeah. this this is the the polyurethane that I've always used. And I will direct my eyes to the bit where it says thinning. This wipe-on poly does not require thinning. And interesting in the comments, Cuffy has just mentioned that being a wipe-on poly, it is already, already thinned. thinned. Is it polyurethane? It's like, definitely polyurethane. Uh, so, so first of all, I, I've got to say this because it annoys me. Don't buy uh, wipe-on poly because it's hmm. just polyurethane with terps in it and you're paying extra for <laughs> yeah. them. Which I didn't know up until about 10 minutes. <laughs> really, yeah. really so I, you buy a can. You, you can get a really good finish from really cheap polyurethane. Buy a, you can get a four-liter can over here for about 45 bucks. And, and then you're going to quadruple the um, coverage by Yield, yeah. thinning it out. Well, maybe not because it evaporates, but um, you just mix it yourself in a can. Get it? You can buy empty paint cans, mix your own mix, right on the lid what the, the mix ratio is, and next thing you know, you've got your own can, and you can actually um, manage how much thinners are in it rather than just going off what the manufacturer has made for a general public who don't necessarily know what they're doing. Mm. Um, that yeah, is really cool. Stuff. I might, yeah, I might see because I didn't. I've never really looked into buying finishes in bulk just because I don't mm. use that much. I mean, this dining table that I'm doing, I'm I'm burning through quite a bit. But um, yeah, I might I might look into that because yeah, I didn't know that it was thinned. I just assumed. Mm. And it's funny because I've always looked at that and thought, well, I've got my other tin of not wipe on polyurethane. But if they're both polyurethane, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just. Um, and the only thing I'll say with that hand rubbing um, polyurethane on is that it's a bit of a nightmare on the on vertical surfaces. Like you get a lot of runs, and you've got to yeah. be on top of wiping it off. But on on the tabletop, that's genius. I, I must just quickly mention uh, we talked about water based polyurethane a while ago, and Joey, mm. you were saying if you get that first coat on proper. Mm -hmm. you're, you're off to the races and with this bedside table i was working with plywood um polyurethane really concentrated on that and it looks it's amazing it's a, you mm. get that first coat on proper and the rest is easy mm. yeah it's pretty good based. yeah um i you i had one uh is yours related to this topic or no because i was gonna suggest a new topic oh you go for it okay I was I was interested because uh, pricing is obviously going to be an entirely different episode, yeah. but quoting is something yeah. which I've been putting a lot of time into this last few weeks with spreadsheets and everything mm. lately. And I'm I'm kind of proud of my process, but I'm not sure if it is going to be actually that practical um, in the okay. long run. So what, I mean, the first thing I do for a quote is after I've talked to the client and we've made the design, my first step is... I will mock something up as a model so I can calculate how much material I need. In reality or 3D? 3D. Never, never like on the computer, like quick sketch yeah. up. I wouldn't spend yeah. more than an hour doing it. Yeah. Um, and then from that, I can calculate what stock I can make it out of, how much of each width and length and all that I need um, so I can get the materials costing down. Um, now, this is where my spreadsheet comes in. Um, and this is because I felt I was failing in quoting and as in really back and forth doing the same thing every single time I came up with a solution where I've got a new spreadsheet 
I've taken my price list from my main supplier and I've put the most common woods in there, dimensions, and then the price per lineal meter. Um, and then I've got a calculate form. So if it's 150 by 38, I say it's 16 meters of that, and then it will calculate it for each species of timber yep. under that. Um, and then I will add 20% onto that cost already. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I have an $80 delivery, so I'll add that onto it. Um, and then this is where the art of the quote will come in, and that is trying to calculate the time it's going to take you <laughs> yeah. to actually make the project. Because yeah. I'll look at a project and I'll think, oh, that's going to be six days. And in reality, it's two days. And I'll sometimes look at a project and say, that will be a day and it takes five days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, either way, I have another spreadsheet which has got my running list of costs and expenses for every month. And then I, you know, divide that by however many days I'm working that month and give me a general baseline for what I have to make a day. Not ideally, but what I have to make. And then I calculate days off that. Um, and then, you know, I have cost of building, which is based on my time. I've got cost of materials plus 20% in multiple species. Yeah. Uh, I add a day for finishing, mm -hmm. um, you know, all that sort of stuff in it. But I'm wondering, is this something along the lines of what you do or am I setting myself up for disaster by actually trying to calculate it to an, to science? Um, it seems complicated to me. But I don't yeah. do spreadsheets very well. Mm. I keep spreadsheets for co actual costings of jobs. So as soon as I actually start um, buying materials for a job, everything I buy for that job goes into a spreadsheet. So I know right. actually what that job costs me. So I can actually know how much money I made at the end right. of the job. I'm not just doing it on theory. Um, is that something I don't do? But that is the, uh, that's a, such a big thing when you actually like because this is actually something I picked up from um, the um, what you call it um, business coaching um, that th one of the first things they'll say to you is how much money are you actually making on your jobs hmm. where's the spreadsheet show me how much it costs and you're like oh well um, here's some receipts I think that was for this job <laughs> and they're like no like that's not right so yeah like you've got to make sure you know what the job costs you and then you can actually work out, did you make money on that job or not for a start? Plus, you know, how much money to take out of the bank to actually put into your pocket. So hmm. um, that's that's a really big thing for me. But as far as quoting, I do pretty much the same thing. I, I do it all by hand. I've got a book um, and I just write every quote out by hand yeah. because there's so many variables. I find it's easier just to for me to write stuff out. Um, so I go materials and I work everything out by the cubic meter. So if it's a table, I just go length times width times thickness times the cost of the, the timber for that cube cubic rate. And yep. it's not till I get the job and then I'm at the timber yard. That's when I start working out what are, what are the available size timbers I've got and is that going to fit inside my quote budget? Um, yeah. Cause, cause I, there's no way I, cause all the timber I get is random width. There's no way I can, guarantee I'm going to get the right size boards. It's never going to happen. Mm. So, so it's timber. I add a bit on, I don't know. It's a random amount depending on the job size. Right. Usually. 
and then I'll just go consumables. What am I going to need? Glue, screws, sandpaper, dominoes, whatever it might be. Finishing polyurethane. I buy like 20 liter buckets of finish. So I just kind of yeah. add 10 bucks a pop for, for a job. Yep. Um, and then I just go through and I, and I have for my time, I guess it's going to take me an hour and a half, two hours to go pick up materials. And then, and then I just go through this. This is getting into the, the other episode, but I work out my time at GST, work out how much time my help, my worker is going to work on the job how much it's going to cost for him um, and try and put a number to it. (laughs) So you're, you don't then quote as a per day sort of thing you quote, because you you obviously work on several projects at a time as well. So it's impossible to do per day, Um, but you're, you are calculating an hourly rate generally. Yes. Um, I'll have to reread my article I wrote to give you a more succinct um, <laughs> description. There's right. a, what I might do is actually pop that into the description for this um, for this video because uh, a link yeah. to this this article that Joey's mentioning. I got it uh, before we were doing this podcast, and super interesting. Probably a little bit ahead of where I am, but I think it would anyone mm. who's in the who's already in the throes, it would really help them out quite mm. a bit. Should we um, get on to questions? Or? I was just about to say that exact thing, right? So we've got two yeah. questions so far. Um, so I think that'll probably do us for time. So W4L has asked us, hi, guys, I have a question for your next podcast. Why is it that benchtop planers or lunch block, lunchbox planers tend to have infeed and outfeed tables, but floor standing models don't? And then it's, he's gone on to ask a follow-up. Say that again. So, and and I, I'm I, I'm not sure if 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 uh, you're going to be able to answer this. Why is it that bench top planers, so your lunchbox planers, like the one behind me, have in feed and out feed tables, but floor standing models don't? Um, now I've, I've always thought floor standing models do. Yeah, I would maybe yeah. say that is wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I kind of get what you're saying because some floor standing ones don't come with it as standard. Mm. Um, ah, but okay. I mean, my, my initial thought would be that a bench top planer, like a lunchbox planer, that bed, if you didn't have the tables flipped down, that bed is only like not even 300 mil long. <laughs> yeah. So you need the extra tables just so your work can get into the machine. Whereas on a floor standing unit generally that table is at least 400 mil wide because it's a lot bigger a lot heavier so you don't necessarily need as so much on a lunchbox planer those bits that fold down are generally well the ones i've seen they're kind of filled in they actually like a little table yeah and you don't get that on the bigger machines you just get like a, a roller a roller or a, a longer cast iron bolt on or yeah, something like so that. yeah maybe there's a difference between table and rollers. I'm not sure, but every floor standing model I've seen has got some version of a, a roller in feed and out feed. Mm. On, and on the lunchbox, stuff. on the lunchbox planers, you're, you've actually got to adjust that to get that level with your uh, with your your bed, your table. It's only now, pressed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. They, they flex like crazy. Mm. But now on your floor standing models, do you need to make that adjustment as well? There is adjustment. 
but it's generally pretty bang on from the show. Yeah, you set it and leave. I mean, my my current planner is like, you know, it's a beast. It's a vintage 1940s 600 mil wide thing, and the, it, there's no bolt-on tables on it, but the table length is also almost 700 mil as it stands. But, but that's what, what I'm sort of saying. Like with the lunchbox planers, those those beds, those infeed and outfeed that you adjust become part of the bed. Right. Whereas on your floor standing models, is your bed already wide enough that you don't need those? So yeah. you're not really making adjustments on those. Those are just to support the material on the way in. I mean, on, on, on my machine, it's a one-piece casting. So there is no no adjustment mm. other mm. than the bed rollers. You, you can adjust them, obviously. But there's no adjustment for in and outfeed side of it. Okay. Um, well, the, the follow-on question was, do standing models tend to have less snap? Yes. Um, so on, on a standing model, the snipe is de delivered from your bed rollers not being set correctly or being set too high, um, whereas on a lunchbox planer, it's actually the cutter head deflecting. So on oh. my on my beast of a joint uh, planer, I have these huge rollers. They're probably 100 mil diameter, solid steel, and I have them set to point two millimeters higher than the actual table itself so when the board feeds in it will hit that roller lift up and i will get a tiny bit of snipe but if i'm doing a uh let's say a board which has no length left to it i drop that roller down to be below the table which is easy on mine i just pull out a shim right and then i get no snipe at all and that's because there's no deflection of the head obviously there's no deflection of the table and it is what it is the only way you'll get deflection is if you're lifting up the end of the board before it's grabbed you know mm. um interesting i will get snipe sometimes and sometimes not and to be honest i don't really care why it just sometimes i'm lucky and sometimes i'm not i'm pretty much at that planning stage um and my snipe is 60 mil long, so I just mm. add 120 mil onto anything I put through the planer. If, yeah. Generally, that's a, I can do that most of the time. Because uh, and then and from there, then it goes to get cut to length anyway. So it's not very often that I'm. I'm glad to hear you say that because I've yeah, it's same thing. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. It's yeah, and as you say, if you just build that in, then because it. Like, it it feels like it's this it's this never-ending quest for us to remove snipe from existence, but does it have to be like that? I mean, well, even if I have a finished piece and it gets a bit of snipe on it, it's like less than half a mil, and I can just like hit it with a hand plane and it's gone. Like, okay, yeah. it's not completely gone if you really put a straight edge on it, but no one's doing that. It's timber's timber, so. As long as you can't see the actual gouge. Or feel it. Yeah. And if if snipe is that big of a problem for you, you have machines which are guaranteed for no snipe. Like yeah, the, just <laughs> it just costs a lot. It's like my old uh, Minimax SM, whatever it was called. That was guaranteed for zero snipe and that thing got zero snipe, but it also cost seven grand. <laughs> like you know you're paying for that so either you want to save 150 mil of timber on every mm. on every length or you want to spend close the best part of 10 grand on a machine that won't do it well, if you're using, using american pipe 
white oak, it might be worth spending the money. <laughs> well, for the American white oak, I'll put that through my sander because that thing is dialed into 0.2 of a millimeter accuracy and thicknesses <laughs> and has zero snipe. Because yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a $25,000 machine. Yeah. I mean, I didn't I pay that, obviously. But. <laughs> Sorry, Joe, you were going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say that um, it shouldn't matter that snipe shouldn't really be a concern, in my opinion, because you're right at the very start stage of dealing with that rough sawn timber. Yeah. Like it's got to go through 100 processes after. You're just trying to get it to a point where you can get a flat square face off of the, yeah. the other face. So it's, you're really at a milling stage. And once it comes out of those machines, then it becomes like furniture making stage. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think I see it as a different, whole different process. That's when you get snipe on a jointer that you should be concerned because that's yeah. that's obviously your machine set up way wrong, but also those are the faces you should be referencing off. Mm. If you're referencing from ends, it's that face. You right. can get snipe on a jointer? If you yeah. set the bed. Only if your bed is like your outfeed bed is lower than in feed, uh, lower than the cutter head. Mm. So you can, yeah. Just... Wow. That happens. Okay. Or your tables drop a bit as well. You can yeah. get it. My, my table dropped on my one, and I'm still struggling to get it back to where it was. Oh, it takes, it takes forever. It's annoying. The more you know. I, my one, once again, big vintage thing. It was set up perfectly, and then I noticed it starting to drop more and more. So I've been, I've had the same battle of trying to re, re-parallel uh, yeah. it all. But when I took out the existing shims, they were bloody like cardboard, not cereal uh, box cardboard, but. Packing box, corrugated cardboard. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know why he used that, but he did. It worked for a while. It worked <laughs> for a little while. Right. All right, next question and the last question. Uh, this is from Lee Vela. I'd love to hear your guys' views on fitting in personal projects between client jobs. Do you put aside time for it or do you just do them after hours? Joey, I know you've got a lot of experience with this recently. Um. I try and just book them in as a job and say, but usually I give myself way less time than I should, but I'll just say, look, this week I'm going to make my dining table and I've only got this week to do it. So I better get it done. Mm. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, I don't book it in as a project, but I will generally, if I have a personal project, I'll come in on Saturdays and Sundays and I'll, I'll do it then. Like a personal project is something I'm going to be enjoying anyway, so I don't mind spending my weekend like that. But it is, I I noticed it a lot last year that you, when you do that, you feel like you don't get a break from work. So I'm trying to, this year I'm trying to be like mindful of that. So I'll do this weekend, but I'm definitely not doing next weekend. Even if I want to come in, I'm not coming in sort of thing. Um, But when I've got, client builds on i just yeah i i wait till the weekend and maybe a follow-on question for that john when you've got are you working on multiple builds at the time so you can just fit your personal builds in into that because i I know joey you often have we've talked about having a lot of things on the go but And you just fit the stuff in or once you've got two projects on the go like that's it there's no space for anything else uh, that's directed towards me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping with the new amount of space I have, I can get an extra two benches. Uh, 
in here, so it won't be an issue. But yeah, if I've got any more than two builds on at the go, there is no bench space anywhere for me to actually work on anything else. It's just so it comes horses. down to bench space, not necessarily it's, time. Yeah, it's it's bench space, not time for me. Um, but yeah, like I said, with this new layout, uh, layout, layout, is it a layout? Yeah. Yeah. Some reason that sounds wrong. Um, yeah, I've got heaps of room now between every single machine, so I'm hoping that I can get some more like one by one mobile workbenches built and just stack them high when they're not in use and drop them down yeah, when so they're not. To have. Yeah, I've got one and I use it. I didn't think I'd use it, but I use it all the time. I've I've only got one bench on wheels, but it's a big. It's like a two by one, or it's actually bigger than that, and it's kind of too big. So right. it's, I keep that in my finishing room because it's perfect to wheel an entire table in on and wheel it out. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I want to kind of make two more half that size. Yep. I've recently just this week pulled my that big, um, I don't know what you'd call that table. I've pulled that out. I've pulled my old workbench out. I used to have two of my workbenches put together to make a big bench, but I've separated them this week and it makes so much more sense. So now I basically have three banks of Mm. Of, of workbenches and it, you can now you've just added all these extra sides that you can use it's the way to go so mm-hmm. um same boat i'm going to make myself a couple more of them on wheels you can just move yeah. them around yeah it's the way to go yeah i think uh wheels as long as and if you can do um I've, i don't know if i'm ever actually going to do this but i've thought about making like nesting benches so it's mm. a, high, a high bench and a slightly shorter bench <laughs> so you can wheel it under the first bench i think i've thought about doing that before uh, that was in my like the last workshop which is half the size of this one right in this one it's probably not really necessary anymore <laughs> yeah you just get comments about people <laughs> telling you to stop showing off you've got enough space <laughs> it's not that big how big is your <laughs> shop joe my shop is yeah. 200 squares how many 200 i missed it again sorry 200 oh, square meters <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, cool. So I'm like 250, but I've got mezzanine office. So yeah, we're about the same. 250 square meters. Yeah, it's not big enough. I need 400. Jeez, I, you know how many people I have saying to me, my shop's too big and I'm what? Six by nine. I'm 54 and people are like, wow, that's amazing. 250 yeah, you square meters. Yeah, you I yeah. had this opportunity, this is going to get long, but I had an opportunity to get an even bigger panel saw than I did, but it physically wouldn't fit in this workshop. <laughs> physically would not fit. I tried every measurement I could because it was beautiful, it was fully automated, but it Jeez. wouldn't fit. Jeez. Yeah. All right, cool. I think we're done. I think so. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks very much for all the questions as always. It's been a pretty good episode. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really interested to, to hear that all that stuff about the snap. That was, yeah, um, <laughs> that's pretty much made my week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop that concern and worry off my, off my plate. Okay, well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, there will be links in this YouTube video description down below. The this episode will be up on iTunes shortly, so if you want to listen to it there. Thanks again, everyone, for listening and and watching, and we will see you again same time next week. Yeah. Hey guys.